Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Today's guest is Erica Garcia from an organization called the Florida Bar Foundation. The foundation is a public charity that provides funding for legal aid and improvements in the administration of justice. Erica is the organization's first ever director of pro bono partnerships. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Erica, welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. Good morning. How are you? Great. So we're just going to jump right in. To get started, tell us about your background and why you decided to become a lawyer. Absolutely. Originally from Miami, both of my parents came from Cuba in 1967. And so I had some opportunities, you know, throughout the course of my life to see my parents and my grandparents deal with legal issues, especially in immigration. And so when I was 15, My uncle was a staff attorney at Day Legal Aid, and I decided to go spend my summer volunteering with him. And pretty much by the end of the summer, I thought, not only am I going to be a lawyer, I'm going to be a legal aid lawyer. That's great. Yeah, my um, mom works at a nonprofit, and I feel like that, like growing up and volunteering there, like shaped what I do today, too. Absolutely. So I noticed while you were at law school, you were a co-founder of the Parents Attending Law Program. How was that balancing law school while being a parent? Well, I will say it was really interesting. So not only was I a law student with a four-year-old when I started law school, but my husband was also in law school in the day program, and I was in the night program because I worked full-time. So I will say that I do not recommend anybody do that unless you absolutely feel like you have to. And I really did feel like I had to so that I could maintain, you know, benefits for my child. And so I wouldn't borrow as much. So my advice is to balance your time. It sounds kind of cliche, right? Like you have to be organized. But I had a schedule, uh, you know, when we were going to do laundry, when we were going to cook meals, when we were going to do family things. And so that really allowed me to be a parent when I needed to be a parent and also to study when I needed to study or to be in the office or to be on law review, Um, you know, all those kinds of things. I really felt like for me, if I was taking away time from my family, this had to be the best experience. You know, I had to try everything and that I really had to get the best grades. I mean, I don't know if that really makes sense, but for me, especially because I wanted to be a public interest lawyer, I knew that if I wanted to be a legal aid lawyer, I had to have the top credentials. And so for me, it was just about balancing my time. And I can't, I can't complain. I had a very supportive husband and um, my daughter's family. Um, my ex-husband's family was really supportive. And so that really helped to kind of balance it. But it was tough. I cried a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. I could only imagine because it's hard enough to be a parent and hard enough to be in law school and to do both at the same time and, I mean, perform as you did. That is definitely amazing and an inspiration to anyone who's thinking about doing it. It can be done. It can be, for sure. So at some point after law school, when you were a full-fledged lawyer, you were a fellow at the Equal Justice Works. Why did you decide to go into public interest? I think it had a lot to do with, you know, my upbringing and being from, you know, a lower socioeconomic background and seeing people encounter legal issues and thinking that, unless you had access to a lawyer, you really weren't going to get help. And then, of course, working that summer at Dade Legal Aid and encountering legal issues. And um, part of what I did at Legal Aid was I was uh, I translated. So I did a lot of translations from Spanish to English for the clients. And so I'd hear about these legal issues that I thought, 
oh my gosh, like I can't imagine. For example, I had this one gentleman that I translated for. He, um, His friend had had a baby and he thought that he could sign the birth certificate because she said, you know, she just didn't want whoever the father was to sign it. And so he signed it, not realizing the state's going to come after him for public benefits. And I just felt so bad for him because he thought he was doing something nice and it really became a nightmare for him. And that pretty much made me feel like I want to help people who, you know, have a bunch of different issues going on at one time. And I felt like the way I could do it was in public interest. So I am a very proud Class of 2009 Equal Justice Works fellow. Yeah, that's great. I think you don't realize a lot of the times that, like, a lot of people with these problems, it's not just one problem. It's more than one problem, like you were saying, how people have all these things going on at once. Um, And there are many ways to help. (laughs) Even just helping with one thing will make someone's life a little better. So... You have worked a lot with children with developmental disabilities. Why specifically that area of the law? I absolutely love this question. Um, As I developed the Equal Justice Works proposal, so what happened was I just wanted to be a legal aid lawyer, and so I wrote, you know, a letter, an email to the executive director with my resume and just said, I'll come and, like, clean the floors. I'll pretty much do anything. And she wrote back and said, well, we need to help kids with Medicaid issues. And I thought, oh, gosh, I hated administrative law in law school. I thought it was so dry. I thought, oh, am I really going to be able to do this? But, of course, I said I'd mop the floor. So, absolutely, I'll come and meet with your staff. And so I met with the staff that was directing this project, this department, the guardian at litem department. And when we sat down and they started fleshing out the issues, at one point during the meeting, Um, the program director, Susan, said, I feel like I've lost you. Did something happen? And I said, no, you just found me. Because the connection I made was that I'd be advocating for kids like my brother. I have a 27-year-old brother. He's 27 now who has an intellectual disability. And so when I applied to tell them I wanted to be an EJW fellow and I'd do anything, I didn't realize that it would be this perfect intersection, advocating for kids like my brother. So when we put that proposal together and I knew that it would be kids like Sergio who don't have anybody advocating for them, I thought, this is a done deal. So that's how I kind of came into it. And then once we developed the project and I realized I'd be providing holistic representation for kids, which means I did everything. I did their special education work, public benefits, adoption representation. I knew that I would be helping children like him. So that's how I got into it. It just sort of happened, which is kind of funny. That's great. In an earlier podcast, we were talking about our favorite pubs, and mine that we have is Autism Speaks. So it's um, just about advocating for people with autism because I was a psych major and a legal studies major, and I was really like, this is just not something that people think about that need advocating for and how it's like their intricacies of it all. So it's really great that uh, you are one of those people. I cannot tell you. You mentioned Autism Speaks. They actually funded me for one year while I was at Legal Aid. It was probably my year five or six. Absolutely loved that organization and was able to um, provide specific advocacy for families with children that have autism. It was an amazing year to do that specific work. Yeah, I bet it's definitely good to put the awareness out there, especially because it's such a wide spectrum. I don't think everyone realizes how large that spectrum is. Exactly. So next you were you were at the Florida Bar Foundation, where you are now. So can you tell us who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So the Florida Bar Foundation, we're the IOTA program for Florida. 
So all of the interest on trust accounts comes to our organization, and we grant make to approximately 30 legal aid programs in Florida. And so I am the first ever director of pro bono partnerships for this organization because Florida does not have a statewide director of pro bono. The bar doesn't have it. The Access to Justice Commission doesn't have it. And so the foundation decided to create this department in this position because we really, really need a hub and connector for pro bono in Florida. And that's, that's the role that I serve. And I was reading that it was founded in 1956, and I just like did not realize that is like what 61 years yes. now. Yeah, that's yes. We very just celebrated our 60th anniversary. Yeah, it's like that's a big milestone. So you touched on that you were the first ever director of pro bono partnerships at the Florida Bar Foundation. How do you spend your time, and how do you wish you could spend your time? I love the first question. So how do I spend my time? One of the things I love about what I do is it's different every single day. So when I originally started in this position, you know, I did a meet and greet tour where I got in the car and met with all of the stakeholders, you know, our law firms, our pro bono circuit committees across the state, all of our grantee organizations, other standalone pro bono programs. And so building upon those relationships, I do a lot of technical assistance and advice for programs. Um, we're creating projects. Um, so I spend a lot of my day just working on different projects. I'll tell you, I'm working on the first ever pro bono transformation and innovations grants for the Florida Bar Foundation. We've had pro bono grants in 2010, um, but this is very intentional. We're actually modeling it after the LSC pro bono transformation grants. And so we're, we're getting ready to launch that next week. I'm really excited. The other cool project that I'm working on is the ABA HYLN Pro Bono Project on behalf of ABA President Hillary Bass. I'm leading the pilot in Florida. So I spent a lot of my time doing project work. And then, of course, um, we'll talk a little bit about Florida Pro Bono Matters. Um, but your other question about how I wish I could spend my time, I wish I could spend more time meeting with other pro bono professionals across the country so that we can continue to learn more about what other states are doing and being innovative um, because we've really got to change the landscape of pro bono. And so I want to spend some time in California. I want to spend some time in New York. And so that's something that um, I hope to do in the next couple of years, but it's a budgetary issue and, you know, all those sorts of things. But learning about how other states are dealing with urban-rural issues and dealing with, um, I don't want to say declining attorney population, but, you know, an aging attorney population and, you know, how are we going to market to our millennials and all that kind of cool stuff. We actually, I've been working on this a lot lately uh, about the aging attorney population. We do something called second acts with, uh, like, baby boomers and retiring attorneys. So if that's something you're interested in, um, definitely have a lot about it. Perfect. Uh, (laughs) So... In early September, the state of Florida was affected by Hurricane Irma. So what immediate action did the Florida Bar Foundation take to help? This hurricane was so interesting. So typically when we have a hurricane in Florida, we're such a long kind of narrow state. And then we have, of course, our panhandle at the top. Typically when we have a hurricane, we don't have a hurricane that kind of hits the entire state. It usually will be like across South Florida, or it'll maybe go up Central Florida, or maybe like a piece. But this this hurricane really knocked the wind out of us. It it pretty much affected most of our 67 counties. So before 
I want to say even a couple days before, um, when our families were preparing for the hurricane, the Florida Bar Foundation staff was here. We were working and connecting with all of our grantees and also connecting with the Florida Bar, LSC, our Young Lawyers Division, APCO, trying to get ready for what we didn't know, right? We weren't sure what was going to happen. So that was the first thing that we did. And we, before the storm even hit, we had already decided to allocate $500,000 to a disaster fund so that we could put money back into the community. And we just actually decided on that yesterday on who is going to receive, you know, what funds. And we're going to go ahead and, and send that out very soon. So that's the first immediate thing we did. So you have your immediate plan in place. But so what long-term actions has the foundation set up since we know that the effects of these hurricanes and natural disasters can be long-lasting? For us, the grants are going to be long-lasting in the sense that, you know, it's going to be a one-year grant. Um, so that's sort of part of our, our long-term response. The the other thing that um, long-term we want to work on is is more of a proactive statewide disaster response, not a reactive one. And so we've already started having discussions with some of our statewide grantees about how we can do that. And um, additionally, we received more funds to complete our pool. So we don't just have the $500,000. We're also, we've gotten an additional 250000 from an anonymous foundation. And we've also gotten um, donations from other bar foundations across the country. It has been, it's been phenomenal. And so our goal is to take all that pool of money and really build a proactive response. I mean, we did some work before the storm, but we didn't have as much prepared as we should have. That's inspiring that all these different states pulled together to help everyone. Uh, So we kind of touched on this a little with the preparedness plan, but what would you do differently now and what are your lessons learned? Especially because, like you said, the storm was completely different than other storms that you usually experience. So I think the big lesson for Florida is we can't be complacent. We did have four storms hit us in, I think it was 2004 or 2005. And so that's the last time we've really had like a storm of this magnitude, you know, come here. And so we just have to have more discussions. We've started talking about having yearly check-ins with all of our stakeholders and our grantees and um, and really making sure that that statewide dis- disaster response is in place. We just can't be complacent. And so we will not be in the future. We we are definitely not going to, um, to let this happen. I mean, amazing things happened in Florida. We've had, you know, clinics, um, pop-up clinics to help individuals with FEMA issues, you know, in the Keys which was really hard hit, um, you know, South Florida, all across the state. So so we did a lot of great work, and we helped our grantees do a lot of great work. But we should have all of that in place ahead of time. Yeah, I was reading this, like, long-form article after the hurricanes about people, what they were thinking while it was happening, and everyone was like, I, I was used to this category of a storm. I thought I did it before, I can do it again. And you're right, not being complacent and realizing that, you know, that isn't the case you have to be on guard all the time. Exactly. And it can happen. A large disaster response doesn't have to be natural anymore, right? It could be any kinds of things. I mean, we're here in Orlando. So we had pulse occur in June of 2016. And so we weren't prepared for that either. I mean, we got, you know, our community mobilized very quickly, but 
you know, it's not just natural disasters anymore, right? We've had all kinds of issues where the lawyers are immediately stepping up. And so it's just kind of having that mindset, I think, will be really important. Yeah, we talk about that a lot recently around here about crisis management and disaster management and what you can do to help. So, And I also saw that you had the storm page as well. So what can you find on there? Like what resources are available? I'm so glad you mentioned that. I can't believe I forgot to mention that. So on our storm aid page, you will find a link to to donate to the Florida Bar Foundation if that's someone that someone wants to do. But the really the most important stuff is we have all the other connections to the Young Lawyers Division ABA FEMA hotline um, number. We have also, you know, links to our grantees, our statewide grantees that have, you know, their brochures and their websites and their information. We really wanted it to be sort of a one-stop shop, although we do recognize our grantees, such as Florida Legal Services, who is one of our statewide entities, have has lots of information on their page. But as people seek legal help, it's really interesting how many people end up coming to us, Um instead of maybe like a local legal aid program. So we wanted to make sure that we also had that information and that um, we we could support the actions as much as we can. We are on the weekly, I don't think they're weekly anymore, the biweekly calls with the ABA YLD FEMA response team so that we can stay ahead and make sure that all of our resources are updated. That's great. In addition to this online resource we're talking about, in the past year, the Florida Bar Foundation has launched an online tool that allows lawyers to search for and view available pro bono opportunities called Florida Pro Bono Matters. Could you tell us more about this and how it got started? Absolutely. So this has been a true labor of love. Um, in September of 2016, we were asked by a couple of influential pro bono folks to arrive in Miami. Actually, ABA President Hillary Bass is one of the first people that said, you know, we would like you to come to a meeting in Miami. And so we we came to this meeting and with all of the um, pro bono folks in the room, really, again, influential folks from big law, mainly from big law, said to us was, listen, there are 15 pro bono programs in Miami. We get 15 emails. We get 15 phone calls. We get 15, you know, calendar invites. And, and a lot of people don't know who's doing what in pro bono. And so can we just go on one website? Couldn't you just have one website where we could access all of the available pro bono cases in one place? And so I naively said, sure, like, of course, why couldn't we do that? That's easy. And then I started seeking out technology companies, and they all said the same thing to me. We've never done this before. This can't happen. Because in Florida, one of the smart things we did was in 2008, we put all of our grantees on one case management system. So all of our grantees are on something called legal server. So I figured, well, they're all in the same case management system. Like, what are you talking about? But we did find a company, Savvy Suit, in Orlando, who created the API, which pulls available cases from the legal aid programs and post them in real time. Wow, that is amazing. And I read that um, you developed it in like six months or something really short. And that is so impressive because, I mean, I imagine that it is not always the case. It was unreal. So we had that meeting in September. And um, I'm sure you know Angela Vijo. Yes. She was one of our pro bono ambassadors in the room. And she said, all right, can you bring back a prototype on November 1st? And I said, sure. And we did. And I have no idea how they did that, but that's okay. Um, So, yeah, we did a prototype really quickly. By February, we did the pilot in South Florida, and it was completely user-designed. So all of the lawyers in that room helped to build it. 
And that was the best part. Erica, we love this. We hate this. Change this. Make this this color. It was exactly what they wanted. Um, and then we decided to do the statewide launch. Yeah, that's super impressive. So what are the future plans for the platform? So here's the cool stuff coming up. We just did share a card. So if you have a case or you see a case that you think a colleague would be perfect for, you can just send them the link via text or email because we have found that your colleagues encouraging you to take pro bono is one of the top ways an attorney will take a case. So we wanted to capitalize on that. The other cool thing or the most amazing thing coming up is we're getting ready to launch texting. So lawyers will be able to text to a number, create their preferences in two to three small texts or quick text, and anytime a case meets their criteria on the website, it'll send them a text to go check the website out, to check the specific case. Um, So that's one of the really cool ones. And the other thing that's going to launch at the same time, which is both exciting and scary, is a concierge button. So if you are on the website or you stumble upon it in any way, shape, or form, or you have a pro bono case, you have a question, you don't know who to contact, maybe the pro bono program hasn't gotten back to you because they're backed up or it's the weekend, you can send an alert and it will alert myself and our pro bono staff to contact you and help you immediately. Wow, that is like a one-stop shop from the matching, not just the opportunities and even you being able to directly help people who are using the platform. That's amazing. We're very excited. So how has technology such as Florida Pro Bono Matters affected the access to justice in Florida? This is such a great question because we've been talking a lot about technology here at the foundation, especially because of the hurricane. So one of the really cool things that happened during the hurricane that was technology um, connected was the case management system I spoke about, legal server, it was completely in the cloud. So our lawyers were able to access their case management, you know, from anywhere, from home, if they were, you know, meeting clients at a library or if they had a clinic. And so that was a really cool thing that um, is sort of newer to us. The texting feature I just talked about is a really cool way that technology has started to change access to justice in Florida. The other thing we've seen that has been amazing is using technology so that our urban lawyers can help clients in rural areas or even in even in urban areas. I mean, we have, you know, city, you know, Miami itself is a huge city. Getting from one part of the county to the other could take you up to 2 hours, especially with traffic. So, we have seen pro bono programs starting to use secure technology to be able to communicate with clients where they are. Yeah, that's definitely helpful because this leads into our next question that Florida is such a big state. So like how technology connects all those different parts of Florida, what is access to justice like in Florida? And is it different for different parts of the states like the North versus Miami versus Orlando? So I did not realize how big this state was until I did that whole meet and greet tour and drove pretty much from one end to the other. Um, So that was a really good lesson in how big the state was. And the other thing I realized through that meet and greet tour was how different we are. So the Keys, right? People think of the Florida Keys as a party town. Well, it's really rural. I mean, there's one road that leads you in and out of the Florida Keys, and it takes four hours from Miami to get to Key West. Um, So we have, it is different. Access to justice is absolutely different in the cities 
versus our rural areas. Even though they both have challenges, so in the rural areas, right, it's hard to get to court, right? You might have court three counties over. But in the urban areas, due to the volume, you may have more access getting a court date, or you may have harder access actually getting to a courthouse, because it might take you hours to get to the downtown courthouse in Miami. So we do have access to justice issues here, and we know for our low-income population, we are only helping about 10% of those in need. It's pretty low, but we are using technology, and we're using um, our pro bono resources to help change, I don't want to say change pro bono, but to help kind of move the needle in the other direction, if that makes sense. But it is different. It is different here, and that's something that really bothers me. I don't want it to be different because you're in a rural area. I want it to be the same. I want you to have access, whether you live in Gainesville or you live in Orlando or you live in Lake City or you live in Miami. Yeah, that's definitely a great thing. Uh, It's a a very huge state uh, versus where we're airing from D.C., not a state yet, but very small, (laughs) do not have the same driving issues even though there is traffic. So another side of technology is social media, and the foundation uses social media in really creative ways. So we've talked about on our blog, your Time Delete Is Now video. I was on your Twitter the other day, and I saw the um, Stranger Things inspired post, which was really timely and uh, creative. So could you talk about how the foundation uses social media as a tool and like what you found works or tips and tricks? Absolutely, and I'm so glad you liked that Stranger Things um, post. We we were really excited about it, but we were like, will people actually like it? But people really did love it. Um, and so uh, between our Time to Lead video, I will tell you people have absolutely loved it. But going back to social media, when I first started here at the foundation, we had another grantee who had the Florida Pro Bono Twitter, and they were sort of like, it's not really ours anymore. It's kind of yours, so here you go. And so I had maybe 25 followers when I first started and had no idea what to do with it and took you know trainings to, to learn how to tweet. And then I realized I just needed to have fun. Like, I just needed to be creative, and I just needed to have fun. And so for the first pro bono weeks, I started in September of 2015 with the foundation. So I had maybe five weeks to get a pro bono week plan put together. And so really the the best thing I could do was put together a social media campaign. And so it was pretty small for that year, but it was still the highest traffic on the foundation website, connecting to the foundation website that week. And so then I just I just think you have to have fun with it and be creative. Um, in Florida, I don't know if you've seen the Florida Bar, has a really active social media page. And so they are a great partner for us. They retweet all the stuff that we post, and they have fun with us, and we have fun with them. So my tip is always to have fun. Of course, we have serious posts about you know, the access to justice problem in Florida and, and all that kind of sort of thing, but, but really... We want to raise awareness, and we want to thank our volunteers. And so we think we can do that by having a lot of fun. I mean, just this morning, we had a pro bono week kind of wrap-up meeting, just some quick stats about which post did the best. And I can tell you, our creative post, so the ones like the Stranger Things tweet, actually did way better than some of our other tweets. So that was kind of an interesting thing to learn today. That's awesome. So what is next for the foundation and what's on the horizon? I'm so glad you asked. We are extremely excited about 2018. I can tell you on the pro bono front, 
We are launching, I think I mentioned previously, um, pro bono transformation and innovation grants. We're very excited. We're going to have two, up to two organizations that will come to us and say we want to completely revamp our pro bono program and start from the beginning. And we're going to give them the funds and the technical assistance to do that. So I'm extremely excited about that. Um, from the foundation in general, we are launching our summer fellows program, which I'm super excited about. We'll have um, law students in legal aid programs for an 11-week internship. And, and even though I was not a Florida Bar Foundation summer fellow, I can tell you that the reason I learned about Equal Justice Works was because I had a really good girlfriend of mine who was a summer fellow and learned about equal justice through that internship. So we're very excited about that. We're also bringing back our law school clinics, civil clinics next year because we've realized we've got to build a pipeline again, right? We keep talking about the aging, not only aging attorney population, but aging legal aid attorney population. And so we want to not only um, start our summer fellows program again, but our civil clinics, but we're also funding our Equal Justice Works Fellowship. So this year, Florida Bar Foundation had four Equal Justice Works Fellows that we completely sponsored on our own, and then we had one that we do every single year with Greenberg Trorig. So we have five brand new lawyers in Florida doing amazing work because we really have got to rebuild the pipeline again. Sounds like you have a lot ahead, and uh, we're excited to see what you do. So who is your pro bono access to justice role model and why? Oh, okay. So I have two. Okay. One of them is definitely going to be Angela Vijo from Baker and McKenzie. She is now on our board. And I have to tell you, when I first met Angela, I mean, she's just a powerhouse. And um, as she gives you ideas, we did something called Everyone Counts here in Florida, and it was actually Angela's idea. And so I find her to be inspirational. She is always across the world. I never know when I'm going to hear from Angela. Um, but the way that she approaches issues and how she's able to bring so many people to the table is something that I think is amazing. And so I hope to continue to learn from her um, about how to do that. But I mean, the kinds of projects we're working on together, like she's working on a children's rights summit with us for 2018. She's also going to be one of our uh, main trainers for the Summer Fellows Program. She'll be training along with Whitney Unteed. So those will be our two trainers for our brand new Summer Fellows. And so just being able to spend time with her and learn more about how she brings these partnerships together is amazing. And then, of course, my other um, role model is Julia Wilson from One Justice. Julia is phenomenal and has been thinking outside the box since probably the beginning of time. Um, but I do love to see kind of the justice bus and all of the other initiatives that One Justice is undertaking under her helm. And I think one day I want to grow up and be like Julia and Angela. That's a nice sentiment. Yeah, they're both great people who we actually worked with at the conference last year, which you know because you were there as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, so let's end with one or two concrete takeaways that would be helpful for potential pro bono lawyers to know. So the first one I want to say is, as the pro bono attorney, you're in the driver's seat. And what I mean by that is, the experience should be tailored to you, right? If you need resources, please don't be afraid to ask. I mean, I love when I have pro bono attorneys that call me and say, like, 
well, I reached out to the program and I didn't hear back yet. And, and, and I'm thinking about this. And what do you think about this? And I'm telling them, well, first of all, let's give the program a couple of days to get back to you, right? Like, especially after the hurricane, I totally get it. But more importantly, you know, what resource, what do you need? Do you need a mentor? Do you need a training? Do you want someone to review forms? Do you need forms? I think pro bono attorneys have to recognize that they're in the driver's seat. I mean, I'm currently a pro bono attorney. I'm doing um, a case with immigration equality, which was a first for me. I've never done anything in the immigration realm, but I get a lot of attorneys that tell me I, I can't, I can't do anything outside my comfort zone or in another field. It's, it's too, too much. And so I decided to put myself in their shoes. And so I'm not afraid to email Immigration Equality and say, can you guys talk me through this or explain this to me? And they have been amazing. Um, so do not be afraid to ask for what you need. And the other thing I think is really important is do not be afraid to fail. It is okay to take a pro bono case and not win. And I know that's really hard, but I have found so many lawyers that are somehow more afraid to lose the case for the pro bono client than their own paying clients. And I think I get it, right? Because if you have a low-income client who's got a legal issue, it's usually a substantial issue. And if you something happens and they don't win, then you really haven't helped them. But that's not true. You have absolutely helped this person because they did not have anybody representing them before. Still had their opportunity. And sometimes it doesn't work out. I mean, that has been really hard. Right When I work with a pro bono attorney and we were really engrossed in this case, and I'm thinking back to my days at Legal Aid in Orlando, and in the end we didn't win, it was okay because we tried. And so I think it's really important for lawyers to know it's okay to fail. It's, it's trying that matters. Without you, they had no one to even try for them. That is definitely true. It's definitely nice to, you know, as long as you put the effort in. Correct. And then whatever the outcome and the outcome is, but um, people need people to fight for them and that's what you're doing. So um, exactly. thank you for that advice and thank you for being a guest. We're looking forward to what the foundation does and learning all about it. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. I really enjoy um, spending time with you and chatting with you. And of course, I'm excited to see you all in a couple months. Can't wait. Thank you. New and archive episodes of the podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Please take a moment to leave an Apple Podcast review. It is quick and easy to do. We would appreciate the feedback and it would help make it easier for other listeners to find the show and expand the conversation about pro bono and access to justice. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, feedback, and questions to pro bono at probonoinst.org.